hello and welcome back to the Don't Panic, We're All Going to Die podcast. If you are a recurring listener, you are the real MVP. And thanks again for spending some time with me today. If you're a new listener, then it's great to have you. My name is Johnny Nava, and my goal in starting this podcast was basically to trick people into coming on here and giving me free therapy. So buckle in. I'm kidding. I started this podcast because it seems to me that there are a lot of people particularly young people who are having a difficult time navigating in a world that's constantly changing. And of course, people are quick to point out that as a population, we've been able to solve many of the issues plaguing humanity. Medical advancements have made plagues less destructive. We have supermarkets with plenty of food. And most of us do not live in fear of being raided by an enemy. But that doesn't mean that modern life is easy. And one of the things I've noticed is that I can go for long periods of time where things are going great, whether it's career, romance, family, my internal life, and I'll think, hey, you know what? I think I finally figured out this very small slice in the overall pie of life. And then I'll get thrown a curveball and I realize, oh, I actually didn't at all. And then you kind of have to roll with the punches, but that's what life is. And sometimes it can be useful to have someone in yours that says, hey, I've been here before. Let me try to help you out. Mentors have the ability to change your life. And one of the things that's cool about modern life is that you can find people to mentor you without ever even having to meet them. Of course, we do have books, history, and art that has served this purpose in the past for centuries. However, with the influx of technology and social media, We now have all kinds of mediums at our disposal to educate ourselves and to learn from people who know more than us. And that's basically what this whole podcast is. And today's episode is the first return guest that we've ever had on this show, Kevin Kelly. If you haven't checked out my first episode with Kevin Kelly, he is a futurist who has been following and writing about technology and its impact for decades. He's also the founding editor of Wired Magazine, an established author, journalist, and photographer. And the difficult thing about writing about Kevin Kelly is that he's difficult to put into a box because he spent his entire life trying to figure out what he's best at, and he learned a lot of skills along the way, which we will talk about later. I first discovered Kevin Kelly because I admired his work, his brain, and his ability to write so clearly about a huge range of topics, and I wanted to be like him. His essay, 1000 True Fans, is an internet classic, but my favorite article of his is 68 Bits of Unsolicited Advice, which is basically exactly what the article promises, 68 Life Tips Kevin Kelly wrote for his 68th birthday. And as someone who has lacked mentors in their life, this article was a wonderful buoy for me. And it's one that I've consulted many times over the years, which is why I'm beyond stoked to have read his new book, Excellent Advice for Living. Now, this episode is coming out right after the release of this book, Excellent Advice for Living, uh, which is a short book of practical life advice that I think is invaluable in many ways. And listen, I've read the whole thing. And let me tell you this, it is excellent advice for living. And so for this conversation, I had an hour with Mr. Kelly, and it was my goal to extract as much wisdom as I could. And I'll pat myself on the back here. I think I did a pretty good job because this was a fascinating conversation. We talk about the importance of travel, mentorships, media literacy, 
how you can improve your ability to learn, and why you should aim to be the only person with your job. So, excellent advice for a living. You can find it anywhere books are sold, and it has my personal stamp of approval. So on that note, here is some excellent advice for a living with Kevin Kelly. Well, Kevin Kelly, thank you so much for joining the podcast again. It's great to have you back. So you have a book coming out called Excellent Advice for Living. And I was very honored and felt very privileged to receive an advanced copy. I, I liked it a lot. I mean, I've really enjoyed what I've read so far. I've gone through most of it. And the impression that I got from the book is it just seems like, like when we talk about writers finding their voices, it seems to me like it felt like, you know, a, a father giving advice to their <laughs> son or, or their daughter in some capacity. So I really enjoyed that. The, the, the wisdom in the book spans uh-huh. from like, you know, don't compare yourself with someone else's ruler to always take the stairs. You know, there's mm-hmm. just, there's such a variety of wisdom in there. So I really appreciated reading it. And I think that it would make a great book for anyone to read, but I, I especially envision it as being a great coffee table book. Just coffee table. Well, so it's a little tiny thing. It's only about <laughs> fit into your pocket, but I, I would be very, very happy if someone put it on the coffee table. And I appreciate your kind words about the book. Each of these things are little tweets almost. And I tried as much as possible to try and make them as short as they possibly could be. So there's a different kind of writing where I'm taking words away all the time instead of adding words. But I'm glad that they resonate with you and I feel like I've succeeded. <laughs> well, I think you, you certainly have with a goal. I think there's something in there that can resonate with anybody just because of how general the wisdom is. But right. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I'm, I got like 80% of the way through before our conversation. So uh-huh. I'll probably finish the rest of it tonight. But, you know, the first time that we connected, uh, it was a great conversation. I learned a ton from it. It actually inspired me to go. I think like the day after we talked, I booked a trip to Europe by myself and <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Yeah. How'd it go? Did you learn anything? Definitely. I mean, like we talked about the value of Slack and that we often have our best ideas yeah. when we're playing. And right. so I, I went to Portugal. I don't really know why I went to Portugal. It just was something that my I was just following my intuition. Right. Sure. And yeah, I went to Lisbon, uh, Porto, and then I was spent some time in the Algarve. Uh, it was great. I, I've been working on a book myself. So uh-huh. I, I, I used the time to do some writing and I did it longhand. Okay. And I think I got some of my best chapters out of that trip and came back very inspired. So thanks for the well, advice. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I liked the a further refinement of that a last minute kind of going somewhere is to pick a place at random. If you'd taken just a random place in Portugal, just close your eyes and made a dart, you would have had an, an incredible adventure for sure. Because that's once you get off the tra- beaten track and you go somewhere that is not on the books, it is just full of all kinds of things that will change your life. So next time you go, in addition to those three cities, take the fourth one just at random. Okay. I love that advice. Maybe if it's not in there, I might, I might have missed it, but that could be. A no, it, it wasn't in there. That's just a new, that's a new piece. <laughs> it, 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 uh, my travel advice is that you don't want to travel around destinations, but you want to travel around passions or interests. Ooh. So like, Decide you want to visit 
all the cheese factories, or you wanted to do leather work, or you we did a, your your dinosaur digs, or you know someone the the oldest university libraries, whatever it is, and that rather than a kind of a tourist destinations will produce very very life changing travel because you are going to be meeting people and it's a little bit more rooted in something. And there'll be people on the way that will just bring a level of understanding and humanity to you that you just wouldn't get to going to the capital city. So travel around passions rather than destinations. That's great advice. I like that a lot. I was trying to, when I went, I was like, I wanted to see castles. Yeah. Because we don't have a lot of them here in the sure. U.S. And so, so I kind of was like, let's see some more castles. And that was a really, those were the highlights. Was, were right, right, so, right. So sure. you keep going. It's like, you know, let me find the the five more castles that nobody knows about. Or usually the least visited ones, whatever it is. And so, yeah, that's that's the that's the idea. Cool. Well, my next trip, I'm definitely going to keep yeah. that advice in mind. Or, or, or you could, you could say castles. Well, let me, let me combine that with something like, you know, castles in, I don't know, Morocco or somewhere strange that you don't think of as castles. That's going to be even better. Okay. I like that. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm writing all this down. I'm glad that we're recording this so I can yeah. re- reference this conversation again and, and revisit this advice. But speaking of advice, so the, the book's called Excellent Advice for Living. And I know that your stated goal is to increase learning around the world. And so I really like that, that this is essentially an extension of that. Right. And one of the things that I was really thinking about in doing preparation for this conversation, reading the book, is that I think that there are a lot of people that might have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to learning. Mm. They went to school and they felt maybe it made them insecure because it compared them to other students. So they were testing. Yeah. And now they might not have a lifestyle that requires them to really invest in learning. So I kind of wanted to get your opinion and perspective on the importance of learning and what value do you think continuing to learn can bring to someone's life? Yeah, that's a really fair question. I I, I guess I haven't really thought about that much because I, for me, learning was just so reflexive and so much a part of me. But I think you're right. There may be people to whom... They have a slight allergy to learning because of their experience in school, which I can fully understand. And I think the way I would maybe explain it is I think the the joy of learning is kind of, I guess, it gives you kind of superpowers to understand the world. I mean, it has to be that if you understood what was going on a little better than you do, that you would enjoy it more. Because you would know how to steer it you better. You would know how to exploit it better. So I think one of the benefits of learning is that you would actually enjoy life more. And I think maybe people can understand that, but they say, well, learning is so hard. So that's a high price to pay. But I think the stumbling block is maybe not understanding the benefits of learning, but understanding that it doesn't have to be hard, that it can actually be a joyful, playful thing. And there are different kinds of learnings. You, you know, there's learning where you have to memorize things. That, but that's just one type of learning. There are learnings where you have to try to understand something. That can be also hard. But there's also learnings where you are mostly just going to be exploring. So 
I like to think of the picture I have in my mind of, of learning is sort of like exploring a new territory. It's like you come up to this forest or something and you're going to go in and explore it to see what's there. That is learning. That's a type of learning. You, you're going to encounter new things that you didn't know existed and you might not understand why they were, but you, there's a joy in just discovering that they're there and trying to see what else is there. That is learning. And that's kind of sometimes what you're doing with big ideas. So, and there are other ways I think learning is fun and can be made fun. You can also have learning where you kind of actually, you're comparing yourself to your former self. So you can look back after learning it and see how much you've learned and feel really great about the fact that compared to where you were a year ago, you know so much more. And that's very, very satisfying. And it isn't a matter of gritting your teeth. It's, again, it's a matter of playing around with new things. Mastery, mastering something is a kind of learning. Whether it's a musical instrument or a new tool, you're going to whittle. If you got a knife, you're going to cut something, carve it out. If you can do it better after a week or two, you've learned something. So I, I, I think learning doesn't have to be a grind. And even there are even ways to make memorizing things funner. There's a technique called spaced learning. You can use flashcards or your computer to help you do that. Basically, the idea is, is that you learn something and you kind of will forget about it. But if you are reminded of the thing right before you're about to forget about it, then each time you're reminded, you're reminded a little further and further apart. And if you have a system that does this automatically, that's kind of coming back to you with information that thinks you're just about to forget and each piece will be different, it's going to keep reminding you just at the right time so you remember it longer for next time. That's called space learning. It's very, very effective for learning things like vocabulary or terms. And so that's a little bit more fun because you're not having to repeat things that you know already. It remembers which ones you don't know <laughs> remember as well. So there are lots of ways to, to make learning fun. There's tremendous benefits from, from doing it. So I'm a lifelong learner and I, I'm constantly rewarded for whatever effort I put into learning something. Definitely. And I think too, there's like, there's an aspect of learning that the more that you learn about whatever the subject is, the more you end up learning about yourself. And I think something that's often overlooked is that the more you learn about yourself, the more insecurities that you spend less time thinking about. And then you actually have more to give to other people, which I think is really cool. Even if it's learning something that you may not think, would benefit another person. Well, and it's also true that the more you learn, the easier it is to learn other things. So I like that. You know, it's like if you once you learn to know the alphabet, then it's easier to, to read. And once you can read, you can do other things. And once you can do numbers, know how to add and subtract, that learning helps you do other things. So if you can add and subtract and learn languages and learn reading, then you can learn even more. So the more you do learn, the easier it is to learn other things. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of like 
learning a language or learning an instrument. You know, if you learn, yeah. if you know how to play one instrument, it's way easier to learn another one. Or right. same thing with languages. Yeah. But I, that's cool. I never really kind of drew the conclusion between other subjects as well. Right. And uh, you know, basically, I've learned a lot from reading your essays on your website and listening to your TED talks and your other lectures and podcasts. And I, and, you know, inspired me to write this essay. It was about cyber mentors, and I had this idea that because we have so many different mediums for artists and content creators to put themselves out there and reveal their processes and habits. You can actually learn a lot from people who you don't know, which I think is really mm-hmm. cool in a way that you weren't necessarily able to do before. So I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this concept of the cyber mentor. And, you know, as someone who is constantly thinking long-term about the future, if you've spent mm-hmm. any time thinking about this or have noticed any trends for having people in your life that can influence your thinking. Yeah, you call it cyber mentor, but in fact, you know, people who've been writing books have been doing this for a long time, and it's the weirdest thing is that we can get ideas transmitted from a dead person. Someone who died long ago left their thoughts in a book, and I can pick up the book, and I can get them transmitted to me from that person who lived hundreds of years ago to to my brain. That's that's just amazing. That's one of the reasons why we have civilization in culture is that it's accumulative and not just the kind of current experience of everybody living today, but if we do it well, we can carry forward all that knowledge and experience and wisdom from people who lived long ago into the past, and we can kind of accumulate that over time. So I think that actually is one of the bits of advice, is that if you want to be remarkable, just read books. (laughs) And the real other real tip about reading books is read the books that your favorite authors have read. Because if your favorite author is like, well, who did he or she read? And they're going to be interesting. And they're not going to be (laughs) popular bestsellers, probably, which is also a benefit to you. And that's a benefit because you don't want to be reading just the same things that everyone else is reading in this in this world today your 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 economic benefit is in thinking different from everybody else and to do that you kind of want to be reading things that not everybody's reading today there are so many great great books that have been written that not everybody's reading today for various reasons from the fact that most people aren't reading very much at all to the fact that they may not be popular right now. But you can go really far by reading some things that either were not on the bestseller list or two were on the bestseller list a generation ago. Hmm. I have a friend whose hobby is to read the bestsellers from like the 1900s. These are... titles and names that completely vanished from our current consciousness. And yet they were the best-selling books of the year at that time. Everybody knew them. And now they're completely forgotten. And he goes back because there's something about them that is still, still valuable and interesting. Even though they're not, they've been forgotten. It's just, it's kind of weird. Where we have, you know, a couple of books that they read in high school that you know about, 
but there's hundreds, if not thousands of others that for some reason don't make it into high school curriculum that were probably better than those books. I mean, the, the criteria for why a book is covered in high school class is very, very weird and kind of odd. So, so anyway, so when you read, try to read, you can read bestsellers, but also read things that are just are not on the bestseller list because you'll benefit hugely from that. Definitely. Yeah, I spend a lot of time reading, you know, ancient and classical philosophy. I really like, like the ancient Greeks and I'm constantly astounded by how relevant everything feels, yeah. even though it was written thousands of years ago. And we've talked a lot about books. You, you have one coming out soon. I'm curious to get your perspective on like, what are some really important books that you think people should maybe be reading now? Or, or you know, what are some books that maybe have gone under the radar, like some of these 19th century books that you think are also important? Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I have a whole two-story <laughs> library and books library. everywhere. So um, uh, I think you should read all of them. You have to narrow it down. Yeah, I would say maybe like because the podcast is about trying to discover solutions to anxiety and depression, maybe somebody mm -hmm. who's Gen Z, you know, very young, coming into their 20s, and they're trying to figure out where they fit in the world. What are some books that might mm -hmm. be able to help them cope with their own anxiety about that kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... There was a there's a graphic novel by Dan Pink called I think called The Adventures of Johnny Bunko. I may have to tweak that to get it. And what's the graphic novel? It's about for people entering into their first job, their first kind of job for hire, and what to expect and how you can kind of maximize that. And he had he kind of reduced it kind of like to five things, but par partly what you're trying to do is to make yourself indispensable. And it was kind of like how how to do that, how to in a kind of very natural without striving and you know not getting anxious about it to to orient your work in a way that would be valuable to other people, and maybe thinking. In, in those terms of ways that you become valuable to others. So it's in its a graphic novel, so it's very easy to read. I gave it to my own kids when they were first going to work to help them think about that kind of work environment and what people are expecting and not expecting. So that would be one thing off the top of my head. I am a big fan of a book called Finite and Infinite Games by James Carse. It's very hard to read, but you don't really only need to read the first chapter and the last chapter. Basically, the premise is that there's two kinds of games in the world. There's win-lose games, and that's those are called finite games. Somebody wins, somebody loses. And most of the sports are all finite games. And finite games have certain characteristics, including, besides that there's a winner and losers, um, there's very definite rules and you don't change the rules during the game. So there's all these other assumptions about it and that the rules are to be fair. And 
then there's infinite games. And infinite games are a very different character because the rules are always being changed on in an infinite game. There are no winners and losers. The whole purpose of an infinite game is to keep the game going as long as possible. And maybe even to introduce as many people into the game. So there are sometimes kids play infinite games where, the, where you just want the game to keep going and going. And it isn't really to win or lose. It's just to keep playing. Well, it turns out that that's a great model for life. And all the games, if you want to think of them like business that I'm interested in, are not ones where there's winners and losers, but there's ones in which you try to just to keep the game going and you try to involve as many people. And the whole purpose is not to win or to end the game. It's to keep it going. And whenever it starts to get boring, you just change the rules to make it more fun. And so that kind of a framework I found really, really helpful in thinking about things and questions about like, do I want to get involved or do I want to play this game? It's like, well, is this a finite game where there's winners or losers or is this an infinite game where it's non-zero sum, meaning that everybody can win because we're just keep playing. I like that. Yeah. Those, those are good answers. I'm definitely gonna be checking both of those books out. Sure. Yeah. So I was thinking about this book, Excellent Advice for Living. And you say in the book that the best way to learn anything is to teach it. And I've said this before in this conversation, but it really feels like in this book, like you're giving a free mentorship in a lot of ways. You're imparting tons of advice. It's it's like more of a, you wrote that essay, 68 Bits of Unsolicited Advice. Yeah. It's like if you took that book and expanded it, I feel like that's what this book is. And one of your other essays is 1,000 True Fans. Tim Ferriss is is constantly plugging that essay on his podcast. Mm-hmm. And he's somebody that I definitely have listened to a lot of his stuff. It's, it's, he's really helped me. On the note of mentorship, I know that you've mentored you know probably thousands of people, either directly or indirectly. I wanted to get your perspective on this idea of learning by teaching. I wanted to ask you, you know, what does it mean to to learn by teaching? I often teach by writing things. You mentioned the Thousand True Fans essay. And it never fails to shock me how how ignorant I am when I sit down to try and write something because I think I know what it is and I sit down to try and write it or to explain to somebody. And immediately... I'm, I realize I have no idea. You know, it's like, like if I was to try and explain, I don't know, nuclear energy or something, I even thought I understood an atom. Very, very quickly, I would realize, well, I don't really know. There's protons and like how far apart are they? Are they bigger? So, so what that does is that forces me then to go back and relearn what it is. And I think, okay, now I understand it. I can write it down. And so then I'll start to write it. And then halfway through, I realize, oh my gosh, I still don't really understand it. So one of the ways that we learn by teaching is that it reveals our ignorances. And so we have to keep learning to teach it because we think we know things, but we really don't until we're pressed and tested by trying to teach it. But even teachers who really do know it, 
again, teaching again and again, they, they, several things come out of that. One is there's always a student who asks a question that's never been asked before and they never thought about it before, which again forced them to, to learn it or look at it in a different way. And secondly, having to do it over and over again, you realize what parts work. And so you, you tell your own self a story that increases your own learning, your own understanding of it. And so teaching forces us to relearn, or sometimes learn for the first time, but at best case, relearn things by illuminating where it's difficult to understand and or where we truly don't understand it. So for me, it's the most effective and inescapable way to learn because you're really, really confronted by not knowing, by having students asking you questions that you don't really understand or can't answer, or even as you say it, realizing that you could be saying it in a better way if you understood it a little better. Or maybe trying to say it a different way can also, for the first time, give you a, a, diff- a better understanding. I like that. that you, kind of, you get confronted by, by your own ignorance about the topic that you might consider yourself to be very knowledgeable in. And, um, Absolutely. And then yeah. just to circle back, like I, I, I think I mentioned it earlier, but I, I was curious about, you know, you, you, because you've served as a mentor to so many people, I was curious about, you know, the lessons you've learned from people that you've mentored. So, you know, th- there's formal mentorships and informal mentorships. And I am much more of the informal mentorships. One of my pieces of advice in the little book, Excellent Advice, is that if you are a young person, have old, friends and if you're an old person have younger friends so i'm learning as much from the friends of my kids and people like yourself that i learned from older mentor people the mentorship can go the relationship and the learning can go both ways and i often i think i'm learning more from young people than from from older people these days so the kind of informal mentorships are mutual in that sense, where there's kind of like both are co-learning together. And I like to have like partnerships where I collaborate with people. And I think that to me is a more enjoyable stance than having someone, the teacher and the student. I like collaboration, partnerships. Mm-hmm. If I can partner with a young person, that's really great because again the learning goes both ways so so anyway i don't know if there's a term for that kind of partners in learning but there should be yeah maybe we can invent one one of these days yeah <laughs> somebody should invent one yeah yeah that, that, that that's a good perspective i like the idea of informal and formal mentorship and it reminds me of this thing that one of the writers i really like he says it wasn't like a Jedi-esque thing where, you know, you're a Padawan and you study under somebody and then you eventually graduate to Jedi Knight. You know, mentorship or being mentored by somebody is something that you often assign meaning to after it's happened. Like you work under somebody or you learn under somebody and then you look back and go, wow, that person taught me so much. And I don't think they, they whether it was, you know, directly or indirectly, sometimes you realize that your mentors are people that you would never have considered a mentor. And so afterwards. Yeah. And and what's interesting, the people I think I've learned the most from, it wasn't what we used to call like book knowledge. It wasn't informational 
knowledge. It wasn't even a little bit techniques, but some. It was mostly about how they behaved and acted as a person, their kind of character, what we used to call character. So it was like, how did they deal with adversity? How did they deal with something not working? How did they deal with something fail? How did they deal with, you know, fans? How did they deal with criticism? It was those kinds of interpersonal things that were probably the things that were most valuable rather than a particular skill, you know, wax on, wax off kind of stuff. It was, it was much more on the life skills arena, I think. Yeah, I like that. I think you said in the book, you can learn a lot about somebody by watching them deal with a slow <laughs> internet connection. Yeah. I, I, the first version of that was like, if you wanted to see what someone was like, give them, put them on a flow internet connection on purpose. And <laughs> they they should just come well, over to my good. apartment. So people were saying that's a little harsh. Yeah, I think that is a little harsh. So maybe you don't give them an inflow internet on purpose, but you can certainly observe them on slow internet. <laughs> yeah, I like I like the, the idea of you know what you can really learn a lot about somebody by seeing how they handle challenges or inconveniences. Yeah. yeah. The, so the last time we, we had a conversation, we talked about this idea of you know why nationalism is dangerous, and I really enjoyed that conversation. And we're talking a lot about you know advice and mentorship and learning today. And one thing that really struck me is that you know in an effort to learn, sometimes we learn things that are not true. They're not the truth. Yeah, that's true. And you said um, in an interview that I really enjoyed, and I was hoping we could maybe expand on it, you said that the bane of the printed world is propaganda, but the bane of the digital world is conspiracy. And I was curious if we could maybe just expand on that a little bit, if you could just like give the listeners a little bit of context into what you meant. Yeah, that was actually, I think I said that in the 90s, long before, you know, Twitter. So, so... It has something to do with the, the, the model of the media. So, you know, broadcast publishing was a very much of a centralized from a here going out, from what kind of one to many. And there you, you know, there was not a lot, not a lot of lateral communication between the, the people receiving it. But in the current media, we have, you know, many-to-many -many model. We have lateral communication, social media. Anybody can speak to anybody else, and we have kind of a broadcast amplifier to amplify the most tiny minority view can be viral, gone viral and touch millions of people. And so what happens is that that, platform is much more liable to amplify anything without regard to whether it's true or not. In fact, we have some evidence that false things travel a little faster than true things do because they make better stories. Mm -hmm. They're more thrilling. And people don't normally check things out to verify them. They're just thrilled. So that's the new toxin that we have to kind of look out for. 
And it, it does pay for people to be vigilant, but it's really hard to tell about what's something. You can't tell from looking at a photograph. You can't tell from looking at text whether it's true or not. We used to be able to tell from a photograph because it wasn't a photograph. You couldn't make a photograph any other way unless it was a photograph of something. But then Photoshop and everything else, long before AI, came along where you could not trust something just because you saw it. And now, and that's been true for text forever. You can't tell from looking at a paragraph whether it's true just by looking at it. So we have only really one way to ascertain the truth of something, and that's its source. Can we believe the source? And so part of what I think we're going to be devising or inventing in our technology are ways in which the source is embedded into the fact. So you can't really, so, so you can always look at the source and you can't spoof it. And basically whether we believe something is going to come to whether we trust the source. And that's really the only way we can tell immediately whether something's true or not. So, so I think we're going to shift to, to, to that because otherwise what happens is that things get replicated and, and, and you, if you believe them and you believe what the mob believes, that's a conspiracy. That's almost what the definition of a conspiracy is, is that it's just kind of a, a collective belief in something. Sometimes conspiracies are true, but they're often not true. So unless you, you trust the source and treat each individual piece, then we're going to have more and more conspiracies Every day, there'll be more of them. And again, some of the conspiracies are true in a sense that people are believing it, even though they haven't checked the source, to believe them because other people, their friends believe it. And that's, again, that's the definition of a conspiracy. Sometimes that's true, but more likely it's not. Right. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he's a, a fam very famous basketball player, but he has a great, great sub stack. I'm not sure if you've ever checked it out. Or he, he no. publishes an email every week. He just kind of gives his thoughts and things that are happening. And he said something I really liked in regarding conspiracy theories, which was conspiracy theories allow people to justify their irrational biases with a superficial appearance of intellect. And I thought that was a really mm -hmm. interesting way to think about things because oftentimes when we're talking about conspiracy theories, it's people that think that they've done the research. And they think that, you know, anything that's going against this research that they've done, done is actually incorrect. And so that's why I think that's, I think you're, you're totally right about the bane of the digital world being conspiracies because there's right. so many things that have the appearance of, of facts when they may not necessarily be facts. And I think we talk a lot about critical thinking and the importance of critical thinking. A lot of people are advocating inserting it in a curriculum at school. But I think what's really interesting, what's really going to be important is media literacy. That's like the yep. a drum that I've been beating is because I think that by an extension of critical thinking, maybe it, like one of the most important versions of that is media literacy. Right. So, so I agree that media literacy is essential. And one of the things I would say, one of the first principles of media literacy at, at the most elemental level 
of your ABCs is that you don't forward something that you haven't read. In other words, you don't forward a pointer to something until you have read the thing that it's pointing to. And ideally, you wouldn't forward it unless you could verify that you had some reason to actually totally believe and stake your reputation on the thing. And so that usually comes down to, like, okay, if you're pointing to something that someone else is pointing to, you need to go all the way back to the source. So don't forward something you haven't read and don't forward something that you haven't actually verified its source some. That's the big well, the first one's easy. I mean, you simply need to read something before you forward it. <laughs> Tweet it. A lot of people just look at the headline. That that's not enough. And so so those are some ba- basic things of you know media literacy. But there yeah, there there there's you know, there's a lot more in in trying to I call it techno literacy. It's actually not just even media, it's even beyond just having some idea of how technology works, but certainly not believing what you read, questioning it. One of the heuristics that I use for a source, so you have like, okay, I'm saying you have to believe the source. Well, how do you know what sources to believe? For me, there's really one easy metric, and that is how fast and how prolific are they in listing their mistakes in their corrections? If a source does not have any corrections that they've posted, it's not believable. Mm. Because no matter how hard you try with fact checkers and whatnot, you're going to make mistakes. And so how willing is a source willing to list and correct their mistakes? Because they will have mistakes. They all have mistakes. Mm-hmm. And the ones that have no corrections, they're not believable. So you yeah. want to see, you want to count up where is their correction page? How often are they making corrections and admitting mistakes? Because if they aren't, they're not really they're not reliable. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but I do, uh, I do have a couple more questions that I wanted to get to you, sure. get your perspective on. And uh, w- one of them is that the podcast is called "Don't Panic, We're All Going to Die." The, the, each episode, I try and present a solution to anxiety or depression that might help somebody who might be struggling with these things. But the overarching message is that. You know, your time is really the most valuable resource that you have. Sure. More valuable than gold or anything else right. that you can name. And right, right, right. I thought you were the perfect person to to have to talk to because you actually have what I call, I'm not sure what you call it, a doomsday clock. You've done the math. You've counted down like what are the average days someone would have on earth. And you have a clock that's counting this down. So I'm curious what caused you to want to have a doomsday clock and then what kind of perspective has it brought into your life? having a physical representation of this idea. Yeah. So the idea was, I think initially came from my friend, Brian Eno, who was talking about how many days he had left to work on a project. And I thought, "Mm, that's interesting. This idea of looking at my life in terms of days. So 
I said, it would be great to have a countdown clock to show me how many days I have left. Now, obviously, nobody knows how long they're going to live, but we have something that insurance companies have figured out. They have actuarial tables where they take take a person, they'll say, for someone born in the year I was born, being male, living where I live in the U.S., here is the expected date of your age or your day of your death. Here's how you're, here's how many years you're expected to live on average. And I took that age and then I turned it into a number of days left from my current age. And I turned that into a, a little app, turned it into a, a clock that would count down every day. And it's very sobering. <laughs> It's very, very sobering to have it because I have, I'm looking like 6,000, it's actually 5,800 days and 800 something. And so what's interesting though is it has not, I've not been decreasing just a day, a day by day because every year there's a little update and because of medical advances, my average death date has been pushed up. And the longer I live, it's sort of like if you live to be 70, you're more likely to live to be 85. Hmm. Right? So you, yeah. you kind of, the older you are, the more likely you are to be even older. And so and so it it hasn't really decreased a whole lot in the last five or six years, which is a bonus. <laughs> That's nice. But but you know, having five thousand eight hundred days is not that many days to do all the things I want to do, and it's very sobering for me because then I get to ask my you know myself a question: Is you know, am I doing what I need to do today to accomplish everything I'm going to need? And the question that I'm always asking myself, and I advise everybody, whether you're young or old, to ask is to make sure that you're working on something that only you can do. Mm -hmm. That's a very high bar because it's a very difficult question to determine what it is that only you can do. And it all takes most of our lives to kind of figure it out. I didn't know what it was that I only could do when I was 22. I had I didn't know. And so it's taken me a long time to kind of get an idea of, of that. But, but what it means is that you do want to get eventually to work on projects where not only are you good at it, um, you enjoy it, you get paid for it because other people value it. But that's, those are considered the Holy Trinity. Most people, if you can get to the point where you're working on things that you love doing, you're working on things that you're good at, and you're working on things that you, other people are value and will pay you for, that's like, okay, you love what you're doing, you're good at it, and you get paid. What could be better? Well, there is one thing better. And that is, if you're the only person who could be doing it, <laughs> then that's really invaluable. And it's really easy for you because you don't have to look around. You're not concerned about other people. You're not competing because nobody else is doing it. And that's for most of the really great people in the world. They're in, in imitable. They're, there's who, you know, Bob Dylan. It's like, who can be Bob Dylan? Bob Dylan is Bob Dylan. There's only, he's doing his thing. 
it's this weird thing of writing poetry and song and it's like he's got it he's got his place so that's what i'm in my you know days remaining i'm really trying to focus on it's like is there anybody else could who could be doing what i am doing then i don't want to do it there's lots of things I could be doing that I would enjoy doing, that I'd be good at doing, that I could get paid to do, but I'm not going to do those because someone else could do it. Right. So that's sort of my suggestion is, and that's the little phrase that don't be the best, be the only. Well, Kevin, I don't, we don't have a ton more time, but, I wanted to ask you some advice, some, I thought maybe what could be fun is you have this book, Excellent Advice for a Living. I thought maybe it could be fun if I just read a couple of some of my favorite passages. Sure. And then gave you the opportunity to expand on them to give people a sense of what's in the book and then you know, give you the opportunity to go beyond the tweet of what's, what's in there. So one of them was, don't measure your life with someone else's ruler. I like right. that a lot. Be more generous than necessary. <laughs> like that one. Yes, yeah. and be more kinder than necessary. Yes. And I think you even said there's there's great satisfaction being extremely polite to somebody who's rude to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's there's this, this weird thrill of being excruciatingly polite to someone who's very rude. Just it just really wrecks with their mind. <laughs> <laughs> Kill them with it calms them down really fast. Yeah. If, if someone insults you, if you thank them for their, thank you for your feedback. I really appreciate it. I think you're right. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Another one was uh, never use the word you in, uh, in a domestic argument. Dispute. Yeah. 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 So, so that's, that comes from a lot of, you know, a couple of therapists and stuff. Yeah. You, you want to talk about, your feeling, your own feelings and stuff rather than it's accusatory. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I, I kept going from one time. She's, she would say like, I can't make you feel anything. <laughs> and and there's something she got from therapy was, which was like, nobody can really make you feel anything. You feel the yeah. way you do because of X, Y, and Z. Right. So right. now I, I try not to use that language anymore. Right. And then let's see your teachers, parents, customers, and fans, they will see who you're becoming before you do. I like that. Yeah, this, this is why you want to have, this is why we have friends and customers and other people in our lives. That's why we're not lonely individuals living this life. It's because it's very hard to see ourselves, particularly where we're going. Yeah, definitely. And art is whatever you can get away with. <laughs> <laughs> I yep. like a lot. Try it. And then one of the um, ones, I didn't write it down, but one of the ones that I found to be really, comp I, I was like, oh, I needed to hear that, was whenever you're intimidated by all the things that you need to accomplish, take comfort in all the things that you have accomplished. Right. So, yeah, rather than being overwhelmed by your to-do list, just reflect on your having done list. Yeah. All the things yeah. I did today. Versus all the things I still need to do today. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah. And yeah. then the last one I had was, I had another one I didn't write down, but this is something I, I kind of elaborated a lot on in my episode, which was solo, which was this idea of like happiness is, is finding gratitude and the things that you have and what you don't have. That's true. Unhappiness is often about the things that we don't have, but we really want to find our happiness by the things that we already have. And that, that kind of yearning is people yearn for things, but you, if you want to yearn for anything, you want to yearn for experiences. Or what it is is that things don't bring people satisfaction or happiness, but experiences do. But actually, neither of those, neither possessions nor experiences, are as ultimately satisfying as doing things that matter, mattering, doing something that matters to people. That's really where the where a satisfied life comes from. So, Johnny, thank you for a great conversation. Thank you for the little tidbits from Excellent Advice for Living from my book. I really appreciate your having read that carefully. And I wish you best luck in pursuing that which you can only do. And I hope that you find that. So, thank you for this chat. I appreciate it, Kevin. It's always a pleasure having you come back anytime. And for listeners, excellent advice for living. Kevin Kelly, highly, highly recommend. It would make a great gift for literally anybody in your life, but especially yourself. So thanks. Thanks for, for talking to me, sure. Kevin. It's been a pleasure. I have to say, be the only is one of my favorite pieces of advice I've ever received. And since receiving it, I began asking myself that question quite a bit. And I found that it's actually a really wonderful compass in terms of pointing you in the right direction. If you enjoyed this conversation and want some more excellent advice in your life, then pick up his book, Excellent Advice for Living by Kevin Kelly. I'll link the book as well as a few of my favorite articles in the show notes. And also wanted to mention, I was feeling so inspired by this conversation uh, recorded a couple months ago that I decided to make my own list of unsolicited advice as well as a way of celebrating my 30th birthday last month. It's called 30 Things I Wish I Learned Before I Was 30, and I'll leave a link to that in the show notes as well. If you like me or even just the show, then you can follow updates on all forms of social media at Here's Johnny Nava. And on your way out, if you would consider giving the show a rating or review, then this seemingly small and insignificant task will actually be immensely helpful in terms of helping out the show. So would really appreciate that. Uh, but outside of that, I have nothing else for you. So I hope you have a great rest of your week and I'll see you next time. Cheers.